With great mojo comes great responsibility. Mojo 5-0. Mojo 5-0. We will make America great again. Sam Sorbo. Hi there. Welcome to the Sam Sorbo Show. I'm joined by a very special guest. This woman is a recovering Hollywood professional. (laughs) Um, She actually uh, manages conservative clients in the Hollywood community. And um, she had a silent partner known as Philip B. Haney, who was a friend of mine. He passed away recently. And she is, this is her first interview after uh, managing him for several years and partnering with him. Um, It's her first interview to talk about his passing and uh, sort of what that portends and what that means. Um, So welcoming me right now is Pele Haney. Welcome to the program. Hi, Sam. This is Pele Lee. And um, yes, I managed Philip over the years, um, over several years. And I really appreciate uh, being on your program today. Thank you. So, you how long how long was your relationship with Philip in term uh, in terms of managing him? Uh, since two thousand sixteen. And why did you start managing him? I started managing him because Francesca had come to me, and she basically wanted. Um, Philip to be managed. Um, she thought that he needed a manager, somebody that could, you know, be a strategist, someone like me who came from a background in Hollywood, who actually was agented, you know, herself. Basically, I was agented by um, a mid-lit, you know, boutique agency in Hollywood. I was a writer. And um, with my background, you know, I just, uh, she actually thought it was good. You know, she was actually looking at prospects, different people, people in public relations to manage Philip. And um, because he was such a public figure, he needed that kind of, you know, help with his business acumen. And she right. thought so that Philip, she- so to, to sort of recap for people, Philip was a, ostensibly maybe the first whistleblower. He um, he worked in the counterterrorism unit. He got a lot of information on uh, a number of Islamic uh, activists and then was told by, as I recall, was told by the Obama administration to destroy those files. And then he decided to go public after the San Bernardino terrorist incident, which he claimed his his information could have avoided uh, if it had only been kept up to date and um, and had been uh, you know looked at and and considered, and so he became very very active after that in terms of allowing people to understand that the U.S. government was um, not uh, doing not not fulfilling its duty. And actively actually undermining itself in many ways uh, with regards to terrorism. So, so, and you came in shortly after that, I guess, to to manage him to try to um, negotiate getting his message out. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, I was I was going to be an advocate for him, an emissary. Um, you know, put out press releases for him. 
you know, be an, uh, an actual, lia- you know, liaison between um, me and particular specific figures, big conservatives, um, conservatives that were working with the Trump administration, basically being a liaison, putting out proposals for him. Um, you know, Philip had 15 years of combined federal service, um, 40 years experience in the strategy and tactics tactics of the global Islamic movement based in Quranic Arabic with strong parallel focus on counterterrorism. He had 30 years experience in international travel uh, to 20 plus countries with particular emphasis in the Middle East. Um, He had extensive testimony and, uh, you know, briefings before the Senate and the House and before the Senate Judiciary Committee, June 28, 2016. Um, He published more than 325 print articles and citations, both as a former scientist and in the counterterrorism and national security fields. Um, And, you know, I have all of those articles and citations. He was extremely meticulous and prolific in what he wrote and in what he spoke. Um, And so I was going to be his advocate. You know, I kind of shifted the paradigm. I mean, Coming out of Hollywood, you know um, very well that there's managers and agents that agent celebrities, um, you know, writers, directors, celebrities. And many of the conservatives that need managing or need a representative for them, you know, they hire these liberal type of agencies. I mean, you're talking about, you know, ICM and William Morris Endeavor. And companies that are antithetical, anti-God, and antithetical to our American way of life. And so basically... The the assumption for conservatives is that, you know, it's all about the money. It's it's not show-show, it's show business, right? And so why would a manager or an agent, for that matter, take on a client that they didn't believe in, that they didn't believe they could make money? And then why would they maybe take them on and then not work for them and not try to get them jobs at least? Well, you know, that's a question to be answered. And, you know, I have over the years, I've pondered how the Hollywood establishment has basically garnered the attention of conservatives and even Christians. I mean, the liberal, you know, uh, Warner Music, you know, took over uh, Christian labels and Christian songwriting, um, you know, Christian um, musicians to take over their career. Um, So you have like conservatives, big time conservatives that were going to liberal agencies, you know, to get some help with representation, with public relations, with managing them, which I don't understand why, you know, um, there is people out there that needed to be uh, taught to manage, taught to um, represent an agent, you know, Christians and conservatives. And there was very few out there that would, that would do that. I mean, you know, you've been in the Hollywood circles of, you know, uh, people, I mean, just in the past, like probably 15 years, you know, did even the Christians know that there was even Christians that were in Hollywood that had um, fellowships like the Media Fellowship, Hollywood Prayer Network, you know, Mission Hollywood, 
I mean, you know, I was the first person at my hometown and at my hometown church in Costa Mesa that even brought the idea of, a, you know, Christians going to LA and, you know, and, 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 and advocating for, you know, evangelicals to tell the gospel in Hollywood. I mean, I was the first one who took the Hollywood tribe movie, which had, you know, Ralph Winner, Leilani Downer, and a bunch of, you know, mentors and people who were, you know, who professed to be Christian and were helping Christians in Hollywood. Um, and so, you know, shifting the paradigm to actually help, you know, conservatives and manage them, it's, it's, a, it's a shift in paradigms. I mean, people, you know, there's very few firms out there that agent and manage Christians as well as political conservatives. I mean, the Wicker, the Wicker Group in San Francisco is only one of them. There's one firm that was a government liaison in, in Orange County, um, you know, doing some good work. Other than that, yeah, you know, there's, there's not many. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I kind of set you up with uh, 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 what, what, an ambiguous question, I suppose, um, because because I, I have an answer. And the answer is the left is much more ideological, typically, than uh, conservatives. And so while conservatives say, well, it's really just about the money. And so I'm going to hire whoever is correct for the job. Leftists will say, I will never, ever flipping hire a conservative ever. And may they all rot in hell. It's a different, you know, I don't care how much money I lose kind of uh, mentality. It's a different mentality. And so for conservatives to enter and be represented by uh, somebody who disagree, who, who, who disagree. Now, if you're quiet about it and they don't know, or even if they know, but they know that you're quiet, then they're willing to compromise a little bit. But rest assured, the staunch leftist will get the job before the marginal conservative every time if the hirer or the agent knows the politics that are involved. And yes, there are a lot of people in Hollywood who ostensibly don't care about politics, but we can't be so naive as to go by the old assumptions, which were, hey, business is business and politics is separate from that because that's simply no longer the case. They've they've made it a different case. And so I'm 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 advocating for you here, Pele. <laughs> I think oh, that, thank you. No, I, I, I think that yeah. you're yeah, you're you're on to something. But back to Philip, because Philip is why we're talking. And I interviewed yeah. Philip a couple times and uh, or probably more than a couple times um, and got to know him a little bit. And he, he really had a, a fervent heart. He believed in the mission of what he was doing and trying to save people's lives. Um, and he and he died uh, supposedly by suicide. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, that's not appropriate uh, for anybody to say, including, you know, the FBI um, or the Amador, the Amador Sheriff County, um, the Amador County Sheriff's. Um, basically, you know, <laughs> of course, we expected all this. Um, we expected them to do this because, you know, it got taken over by the FBI, which is corrupt in it, in it itself. Um, and I'm going to pause you right there. I need to take a quick break and we will be right okay. back after. But I do want to talk to you about that because the FBI, once they got involved, we saw some different things. And so right. we'll get to that right after the break. My guest is um, Pele Lee. She's a uh, former manager for the late Philip B. Haney. 
Uh, stay tuned. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. I'll be right back. I want to invite you all to join me at the Playbook for Home Learning Conference put on by Underground Education. There's a new community that started online called the Underground Education Community. You can find it by going to samsorbo.com. You can also find all the information about the conference, about how to approach education with your kids. Times are hard for parents right now. There's a lot going on in the schools that we don't like. But I'll tell you something, home learning is easier than you ever thought it could be and more fun than you ever imagined. So join me at the Your Playbook for Home Learning Conference this June 24-25 in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and we're going to have a great time. Go to samsorbo.com for more information on everything. I'll see you there. My guest continues to be Pele Lee. She's uh, Philip B. Haney's former manager, uh, late Philip B. Haney sadly. Um, and she's talking to us about um, his passing and the way that it was handled by the FBI. Um, it was ruled a suicide uh, with a great deal of questions surrounding it. Now, Philip had recently lost his wife to a long protracted battle uh, with, I believe it was cancer, right? Yes, it was yeah. cancer. But he um, had recently started seeing someone there was rumors that they were engaged or that they were planning to be engaged. He, he seemed to be a, a happy man. He seemed to be uh, reasonably happy. And I believe he also told several people that if he died, it was definitely not suicide, which is kind of an odd thing to say, except for Philip. Um, you know, he feared for his life every day, I think. Yes. Yeah, he did. I mean, uh anybody who goes against, you know, the current day establishment and, you know, the red green axis is, is yeah, it's going to be a target. I mean, I, anybody who goes out there against the corrupt and wicked establishment is going to be a target, obviously um, him, him more so than, you know, any other. Um, well, and all those that actually, uh, advocate for American life and the sanctity of American life. Um, yes, exactly. Um, I think that though, you know, uh, he, he was actually, I think him and Francesca, when he, you know, when they both came to me, especially Francesca, I think that they, were scared to tell me that they did have death threats because I actually <laughs> pointedly asked them um, in a written statement whether they were having death threats or not. And I, I think that they were afraid that I, I wouldn't manage them. I wouldn't manage him. And basically managing him was managing Francesca as well um, because, you know, they both had issues. And, and you know, me growing up, I, I heard from my mom, you know, my grandfather, um, he actually worked on the atomic bomb and my mom grew up with, a, you know, my grandma was paranoid and, you know, being what that did your he, grandfather do on the atomic bomb? Um, he actually, he worked for the coal mines and then he worked for Revere copper and brass. And then they hired him as an engineer to work on the atomic bomb um, it was a part of the atomic bomb. He didn't know what he was working on um, at the time. I mean, any of those who gotten involved and recruited for that job did not know 
<laughs> exactly what they were working on or the potential that the atomic bomb had. Um, so my grandma, you know, at that time, she was paranoid, you know, of things. Well, Francesca, you know, managing Philip was also managing Franny. And, you know, basically, you know, there comes, there comes these triggers, emotional triggers and issues that you have to deal with. I call them PTSD, you know, kind of triggers because of course, you know, we're all human and, you know, Philip and Franny were too. And there was things that when I asked them about death threats, they just didn't want to talk about it. And in a written statement, they said that they currently did not have any, which, you know, I didn't believe, but I took it on anyway. And I didn't, I myself didn't know the magnitude of what I was getting myself into. You know, I don't think anybody does. I mean, and of course, no one would think that he, you know, that something would happen to him. Of course, there was a potential for that to happen. It happened, you know, there's a potential for that to happen to anyone working on Lindell TV, anyone working on, you know, OANN. Um, any and all have had, you know, harassment issues. I myself have had harassment issues. Um, you know, things that openly we can't talk about. Sometimes we can't, you know, talk about uh, certain things. I mean, basically, those kind of things are for our counselor, our pastor, people closest to us, you know, and being a manager had all of the issues with it, along with being, you know, um, a counselor, you know, a counselor, somebody who, you know, yeah. tries to identify strategy moves and basically somebody, you know, that I was always telling Philip not to go, you know, on uh, social media. You were telling and, him not to go on social media. Why? Yeah. I was telling him not to go on social media because at the time in 2016, there were operatives on uh, Twitter and I was on Twitter campaigning. But why, uh, if he, if he has a message to get out, you obviously you weren't afraid of him being canceled off of social media. You told him not to go on it, but if he has a message to get out, how else is he supposed to get his message out? Going across America and uh, speaking, uh, speaking at engagements and doing covert work. Um, I never, never, ever, I myself, I'm not on social media. Um, you can get the message out and do, you know, as far as Phillips work, as far as anybody else goes, that's, that's fine. Go on social media. But as far as, uh, Phillips work, I never advocated him to go on social media because he was working, he should be working covertly on things and secretly and, you know, going dark on certain things. Um, that's the only way that you can undermine the kind of situation that we've been in, you know, in the last um, several years since 9-11. And let's, actually- let's talk about that briefly because uh, okay. we're going to we're going to run out of time. Um, okay. So you said the FBI got involved. His death was ruled a suicide. Uh, and and you don't believe that. Oh, no, I have his files. You have the FBI file? No, I have I have some of his files 
and um, I had to get it to the right people and, uh, you know, in government um, in certain areas in order to do the right thing and in order to, uh, you know, be able to prosecute, you know, certain people um, in the United States that were undermining our constitutional republic. And the thing is, is, um, you know, I got some of those files out and uh, basically, and nothing was done about it. Nothing was done about it. So you brought it to the attention of, did, did you go to, I don't know, did you judicial watch or any of the watchdog agencies that, that we have, uh, you know, the independent ones? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. Um, among others and uh, certain specific individuals. And I was already telling, you know, people, of course, the narrative of the Senate Judiciary Committee, they had already um, those that opposed uh, Philip at the Senate Judiciary Committee, they were already setting forth the narrative that, you know, white supremacists, um, that we were, <laughs> that we, that we were white supremacists, even from that day, uh, the narrative was already struck. And on Twitter, you know, I was attacked from the alt-right. I was screenshotting the alt-right operatives um, that were opposing Trump supporters on Twitter. I had actually taken a lot of those screenshots of the alt-right. You're talking about operatives like Microchip, Ricky Vaughn, and people that were on there. At the time, the Trump supporters were trying to um, advocate for Trump. There was anti-Semitism going on. Um, and we already knew that I already knew the red green access was on Twitter, basically. Um, and I was screenshotting all those and I tried to bring them to Daryl Issa and I was trying to, you know, um, you know, talk to Paul Ryan and Dinesh D'Souza on Twitter. Some of them were listening to me. Some of them weren't. But when I had actually bring brought those screenshots to Philip, when I, you know, when I, um, actually started managing him you know that's who he was researching was the alt-right the alt-right morphed from the ku klux klan they morphed into the new right they were trying to get new leaders since richard spencer was um you know wasn't doing what the what they wanted him to do basically they all formed on gab gab, gab ai and when Trump wanted an alternative um, solution to the social, you know, the social media, I was trying to warn, you know, we were trying to warn, warn Trump not to get on Gab because they had formed on Gab. And now they've actually um, hidden themselves and they're amongst us. Of course, that's how they've infiltrated the Act for America groups and everything else. Um, they're all part of the red green access. The alt-right was, that was actually how, um, they set themselves up. They set, they set the Trump supporters up to be white supremacists. It was all back in 2016. It didn't start just recently. This started on 2016. It actually started way before that when 4chan was created. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, we're just we're, we're running out of time. So I have to break in and um, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, yes. sort of sum this up. So um, we miss Phil Haney. I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what his his legacy is doing now. Um, do you are you still promoting his works and doing anything like that? Well, you know, I I've been doing some some things that I don't speak about publicly. Um, you know, I, I have a slate of, you know, people that I manage, uh, political conservatives, the Christians along the way. I, and I do want to talk about our relational tenets of faith, because I think that, you know, that us as Christians and conservatives, um, we need to take care of each other and that's not being done. And so all the, all the while, while we're telling the Democrats, look, you know, you guys are, are wicked. You're doing corrupt things. And I think the church needs to be cleaned up in a way because those people that said that they were helping Philip that were Christians or conservatives, um, you know, they weren't doing some things that were right um, for Philip on behalf of Philip. You know, I went to Breitbart to ask Breitbart to, you know, I sent a proposal to Breitbart 2016-2017, you know, for Philip to be hired. And he wasn't. He wasn't hired. Um, they had hired a couple others. I'm not going to say their names, but you can figure it out. You know, I, I'm the one who sent the proposal to Alexandra Preet, um, who was the right-hand lady of Steve Bannon. You know, and, uh, you know, people promise Philip things that, you know, when we when I tried to help Philip get his message out, there were Christians and conservatives that weren't helping us to do that. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's it's a you know, we're we're all fraught with um, distractions and uh, trying to just keep our eye on the ball. And Philip was somebody who worked tirelessly to get the message out. And he was somebody who had a great deal of knowledge. Um, and uh, so unfortunately, um, you know, it's always a struggle to get the message out. I was happy to have him on my show several times, actually. And um, I was always thrilled to chat with him. He, he was a wealth of knowledge. And so I want to thank you for the work that you did on his behalf and for the work that you continue to do. Uh, I've got to I've got to end it there. We've run out of time. Taylor Lee, thank you so much for coming on the program. Oh, this is thank the you, Sam Sorbo show. You've heard me talk about Mike Lindell, who I adore. You know, he's the inventor of my pillow and how that pillow has given me a good night's sleep that I need. In fact, I never knew how good I could sleep before I had my my pillow. Mike continues to roll out new offers on his products, and the latest one is on his towel sets. Towels aren't something you think about often. I never knew what I was missing until I tried the towels just last year. Now, you've all helped build MyPillow into the incredible company that it is today, and you've trusted Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's now changing the game with his six-piece towel set. The set's made with USA cotton, making it extremely absorbent, and yet still providing that soft feel you look for in a towel. The set comes with two baths, two hand towels, and two washcloths, typically retailing for $109.99. But for a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of $39.99, and that's using promo code Sam Sorbo. So remember, all my pillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. You just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials to get this insanely low price of $39.99 on the towel set. You'll find deep discounts on other MyPillow products as well. So enter promo code Sam Sorbo, Sam Sorbo, or you can call 800-625-5983. That's 800-625-5983 for these great radio specials.
Hi, this is Sam Sorbo. I want to invite you all to join me at the Playbook for Home Learning Conference put on by Underground Education. There's a new community that started online called the Underground Education Community. You can find it by going to samsorbo.com. You can also find all the information about the conference, about how to approach education with your kids. Times are hard for parents right now. There's a lot going on in the schools that we don't like. But I'll tell you something, home learning is easier than you ever thought it could be and more fun than you ever imagined. So join me at the Your Playbook for Home Learning Conference this June 24-25 in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and we're going to have a great time. Go to samsorbo.com for more information on everything. I'll see you there. Hi there, I'm Sam Sorbo, and my new guest is, uh, she's the founder and the CEO of something called Next Generation Ministries Independent Learning Academy. So they have about, I think, four schools in Southern California. It's an independent learning academy. It's based a little bit on the homeschooling model, which is why I wanted to chat with her. Leslie Russell joins me. Welcome to the program. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much, Sam. So you started this uh, about 10 years ago. Is Is that right? Yes. I, you know, technically it was 11 if you count the year it was in my home. We had 65 children in my 2,100 square foot home. And I, my background is in education. I was a public school teacher outside New York City. So I have my master's in education and then started homeschooling my own children 22 years ago. So homeschooling mom of 22 years with a daughter in graduate school, two in college, and my son currently at ILA. And they all graduated from Independent Learning Academy. So one year in the house and then launched um, Next Generation Ministries and Independent, Independent Learning Academy. So it's been 10 years for ILA. That's how we go by. 11 years, if you count the year, that was my home as a co-op. And so describe to me what one of your uh, campuses looks like and how it functions. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very innovative model of education. Um, it's something really cool called capitalism, um, where uh, um, the teachers come in. And they're independently contracted, so they get paid per student. So if they, you know, whether they have 10 students in their class or 15, kind of like that 15 to 1 student-teacher ratio. So the teachers are very inspired and love um, coming in and teaching. They are able to bring all their creativity. A lot of them are running in that lane of whatever it is they're teaching um, during the day. And so um, the way that it's structured is they can come in and teach one class or two classes, or they can teach like every single day that we're there. And parents- They're independent contractors, right? Yes. The teachers are basically independent contractors. They they basically put up a a, a help wanted ad. If you want your child to learn what I'm teaching, uh, sign up with me. And so the parents then choose which teachers, which classes they want their children enrolled in. Absolutely. So they go to our website and there's over 300 classes um, to choose from at our Irvine location. And uh, we have like 100 you know, teachers that teach at all of our different locations. Some of them are just in the Irvine. Some of them are itinerant and they travel to other campuses that we have. And the parent goes on, they see a bio, a headshot, a course description, the tuition costs, and they basically build their child's schedule. Um, so it's like a custom built a la carte uh, parent choice model of um, of educating their child. And so they do you have, do you have teacher reviews on there too, from previous students? So like our homeschool community kind of has that on their own. Um, all of our teachers are like excellent, but definitely like with anything, like where do you get your hair done? You know, where do you go to dinner? Where's a good place like 
definitely like, hey, this class, this teacher, you know, worked really well for me. And so all our teachers are really phenomenal. Um, and we are in that position that we can really bring in the best teachers. We have teachers who have written their own curriculum. We have founders of um, concepts and organizations, you know, who are coming in and the actual founders like teaching at our program. So the, the parent is the consumer, like they get to go on and they get to choose which class for their child. So it really meets the needs of the homeschooling parent, because maybe they only want one or two classes. And then also like an exiting public school or private school student that really wants to be there more than one day, they can be there. Some of our campuses are four days. And so they can literally be there every day if they wanted to be. And so we are a K-12 homeschool ministry um, based on Ephesians 2.10. What is Ephesians 2.10? So Ephesians 2.10 is we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he has planned for us. And so we really feel just like we have a, a physical DNA. God has given us a spiritual DNA that something that only we can fulfill for his kingdom. And we really feel that every child coming into ILA um, has that kingdom calling. And so we really are honored to be able to be a part of that and helping them see who they are, who God created them to be, their identity in Jesus Christ and help to mentor and shepherd them in that with these very dynamic, innovative classes that are taught to them, um, that are faith-filled and are very inspiring. It's like, it's really the biggest email I get from parents is I have my child back again. They love to learn again. And, and just being able to completely see the change in the countenance is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's amazing just to see it because they come in a lot of times, sometimes, um, with school anxiety, with the pressure of having to learn a certain way. And then all of a sudden they're able to come in and learn the way that they were created to learn. And it's just a lot of those IEPs, those individualized um, educational plans that had been like following them for years, just because they learned differently, but they were kind of put in this box of having to learn a certain way, all of a sudden just evaporate. They just go away because they can like learn the way that, that, they're, that they interface with information. It's so interesting, Leslie, because I've I've taken on this mission work to free parents and children of the shackles of our education system. And the thing that you just mentioned, the the IEPs and the um, school anxiety or, you know, school provoked anxiety uh, that children suffer from because they are expected to perform in a certain way because school intends for children to become um common, uh, to put it, you know, common core. Uh, school wants all children to be the same because it serves the school for the children to behave in exactly the same manner. And so if you are somewhat different or enough different, uh, you're, you're going to be pounded into shape or you're going to develop some kind of coping mechanism uh, for that uh, or both, right? And so what you've done is you've you've taken that off and you've said, no, you know, people are free people. We have will uh, and we have, uh, you know, impetus. And so you've you've sort of freed people from the institution. And yet you've managed to, in a sense, institutionalize learning, but in a different way. And um, it's really remarkable. I, when I was first exposed to this, I, I was skeptical. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to do a little investigating, um, but I like the free market model. And so while I'm, while I still struggle with the entire classroom type uh, of experience, and I really uh, lean more towards the Socratic dialogue and the seminar 
kind of experience of classrooms, you've said a couple of things that really stood out to me. You have a basically not more than a one to 15 ratio. Um, and I don't know how you control for that, but, but it sounds like you do in some way. So, so, you know, at most 15 students in a class, I think that probably stands to stands to reason that that's, that's, the largest class size that we really should tolerate for our kids if we want our kids to be heard and, and be seen and felt heard and felt seen um, in the learning environment. Um, I read recently that the, the biggest mistake that teachers make typically is they ask questions to find out what the student knows, and, um, and they really ought to be asking questions to, uh, to let the students show what they know as opposed to find, or sorry, they, they ask questions to find out what the student doesn't know. And what they should be doing is asking questions to find out what the student knows, uh, because you you meet the child, you meet the student where they are. You don't you don't try to just put up roadblocks to where they are. You don't know this. You don't know that um, and disable them. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, those are like really you said, like a lot of like amazing things in there. So I love the Socratic method, too. And so we a lot of our high school classes especially are the Socratic method where it's literary circle type of like sitting in circles and really looking and asking questions from like the most amazing source books of information versus like, well, here's a textbook. They go right to the source books. Um, So like C.S. Lewis is like really one of the the biggest ones that they, and then obviously Shakespeare, depending whether they're doing American literature, world literature or British literature. But then you talked about just like almost inquiry-based learning. And so that's something else that I do. Um, I'm actually on a national committee of um, 20 people in the United States And we're looking to really um, rewrite pedagogy and pedagogy being like how children learn, how to teach. And so what we're looking at is like a constructivist classroom and different pedagogy and inquiry-based learning because every student God has given each of us, um, regardless of what our age is, just an innate curiosity. And biblically, when you look at how Jesus interacted with the disciples, it's not like he was just always spewing information to them. Like a lot of it was just posing questions and giving them parables that they had to kind of get to the answer and derive the answer through the parable that was given. And so with children, you can have so much fun at creating a really engaging environment um, where it is like, just like this place of learning um, with sharing what's what they do know, but at the same time, posing questions and asking questions in a way in which that is evoking and drawing that information out of them. And so that also helps to create a very exciting, um, er, you know, exciting, dynamic way of learning information. So and our teachers do that as well. Uh, so we're always piloting different, um, different curriculum and piloting different pedagogy. So it's just really like this think tank of like innovation and, and creativity. And, you know, I'm a homeschool mom of 22 years. And so I know from my own four children, like it was really special and amazing being around the kitchen table. We've homeschooled every, every way, but there's also something very special in being able to have children in a classroom with their peer and just the, the dynamic of that, the conversations that come learning from each other and also a teacher engaging them in that. So what's nice about the hybrid model is it doesn't have to be all of that. It can be like part of that. And then also part of like what they're doing at home. And the biggest and greatest decision maker with that is really the parent. The parent is assault. They get to decide because every child is different. You, you might have one child that really enjoys that and really wants even more of that. And then another child that really for a certain time or season of their life is like, maybe wants just to do a little bit of that. Um, So you can tailor the program 
to their need. And right. then there's another really cool component of it. It's called multi-age grouping and cognitively, behaviorally, and um, academically, when you group children together um, with more than one age or grade, there's like a whole other like layer of learning that takes place when you group them with the different, um, the different range of ages. Right. So that's another benefit that we do. And they get, they also get us, you know, I worked with an after-school program years ago and the idea was to teach the older children, the high school students to mentor the younger kids in grade school. Mm -hmm. And what happened was it saved two lives at the same time because the younger kids had somebody who was close enough to them, a high school student, right. Who represented somebody who came up from where they were, um, who, who was a, who was a, a good role model, but for the high school student, they saw themselves through the eyes of the child and they saw, they, they took on a new sense of responsibility. And there's something that's very magical that happens when you, when you mesh the different ages together in a, in a, it doesn't have to be a classroom setting, but in a learning based setting. Right. But what I love is, um, and I'd love for you to speak to this. And we're—I'm sorry—we're running out of time. But you raised four kids, and you taught them somewhat at the kitchen table. What did you learn from your kids? Yeah, that's so good. That's such a great question. I love being a homeschool mom. I really just loved it. I look forward someday, you know, being able to have grandchildren and being able to have like maybe a piece of that, being able to do that. And so basically, there is nothing like imaginative, imaginative play. And also learning with your children. So I would say to like the homeschool parents out there, if you're like, oh my goodness, like I barely graduated from high school. Um, how can I possibly like homeschool? Um, you learn with your children. And so I just remember doing um, like apology of botany with my children and like learning along with them was just so amazing. And so like, even with the classes that we have at ILA Independent Learning Academy, you are learning you know, with your child, because the, the teacher is just a facilitator. And then you get, they get to go home and you're like learning the information with them. And so I would just say, embrace that you get to like take math again. I'm like a better math student now than I was. And that, and it's sad because Leslie, that scares people because they hated it in school, right? They were taught to hate learning. And that's why parents are so reluctant to do home learning with their children is because they hated it the first time through and they're convinced they're going to hate it with their children and their children are going to hate them for doing it with them. And the opposite is true. It's this really nasty trick that our quote unquote educators have played on us. What's amazing to me is you you have a master's in teaching. Like what's wrong with you that the, that the system didn't stick on you. Like most people. You mean like why I didn't stay in the public education? Yeah. 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 Like how did you escape it? Like you were steeped in it and and you're like, nope, I'm Teflon. I know who I am. I'm, I know who I am in Christ. You can't have me or something. No, it's actually a really sweet story. Um, Very sweet story. So I was in the, you know, was a public school teacher and it was teaching and then became pregnant with my, our first daughter and, you know, I told my class, I'll be back three months, you know, I'll be back. And then you have your baby in your arms. You're like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> you know, like I just wanted to be home with her all the time. And so I was really happy that I was just able to, to do that. We actually sold our house so that I could do that. And so the, the, um, where we moved to, which was outside Hartford, Connecticut at the time, there was a really sweet homeschool family. And I, I had never even actually heard, this is 24 years ago. 
So I had never even heard of the word homeschooling. Like it never came my way. I didn't even know it existed. And so the realtor said, you know, um, this really sweet family moved in next door to you. And she goes, um, they're really sweet, but they do something kind of different and strange. And I'm like, oh, what does this family do that's different and strange that's moved in next to me? And she's like, they do something called um, homeschooling. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Like, it didn't, I'm like, what is that? She goes, I don't really know, but they're really sweet. And she's like, I think they just school their kids at home. So I was just like, oh, I can't wait to meet them. And so kind of fast forward, um, these little girls would show up on my doorstep every day at noon to play with my daughter, who was only like six or seven months at the time. And I just saw them grow up and I was just blown away and amazed by them. They're still very much a very big part of our life. They did the logo for ILA. But I remember calling the newspaper saying, you need to come over right now. These like 10 year old girls that live next door to me just made a teepee in my backyard that is life size and would rival any Iroquois Indian. And you need to come and like, like to see what they've done. Like they just, I just knew as soon as I met them and I was so inspired by them. Yeah. It's like, the, it's like the world's best history. kept secret. It's, yeah. it's, um, and when you're exposed to it, you, you meet, uh, a, and, and of course, here's the thing, homeschooling in a sense started, and, and I, I use that term loosely, but sort of started with the outcasts, the social pariahs, the kids who literally couldn't stay in school because there was so much bullying or they were so inept at, at being social with other children that, or they were so um, they were so mentally incapacitated or, or too mentally proficient that they didn't fit. And that, so they were really, really the misfits and it sort of gave the whole homeschooling vibe that this, this misfit vibe but there are plenty of, quote, normal parents who just said, you know what, that whole school paradigm, that doesn't work for me. I'm just going to keep my kids home and, and I'll figure out how to get them educated. And it sounds like you moved into some people, you moved next door to some people who kind of had that paradigm and just said, we're going to do it ourselves. And what I've, what I've heard time and time again from parents who have been to, say, a homeschool conference, um, I, I, I have friends who went to a home, homeschool conference um, for, for no good reason, they, their friends were going and they were like, okay, we'll go. And they went and they met teenagers mm -hmm. who were homeschooled and they went, oh my gosh, well, I want my teens to be like that because those teens are respectful, um, conversational, uh, like, like they were like real people as, as teenagers. And you know, that you meet kids out of school who are like, uh, uh, you know, they can't hold a conversation. They have monosyllabic answers. They're disinterested. They don't care, like all of that. And so I just love I, I love hearing that story that, that you were exposed. Like, I mean, God puts you right next door to the right family. Am yes. I right? And so that sent you on this path. And now you have ILA. Where can people find out more information about your efforts? Absolutely. So you can go to independentlearningacademy.org. And by this fall, we're going to have 10 locations, um, San Diego County, Orange County, and then we're in outside Boise, Idaho in Meridian. And we're really looking to bring these campuses across the country because they are really exciting, dynamic, innovative, and the parent is the salt. And you get to choose however you want to interface um, with it. Because right now in the world of homeschooling, um, every homeschooling family looks different. Um, I always, I was an yeah. English teacher and I think very metaphorically, like we're all species of apples, but all different types. And so some families have single moms or dual income families. Um, and then more of a traditional where mom is 
you know, home teaching and dad is working. And so, but everybody can be homeschooling and in some capacity be able to do it. And so we exist to be a blessing and we can come alongside you and support you in your homeschooling any way that that looks like. And you know what, parents, if you are, if you have a community and this is something that's interested, is interesting to you to figure out how to start something like that, you should reach out and talk to Leslie Russell. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is the Sam Sorbo show. You've heard me talk about Mike Lindell, who I adore. You know, he's the inventor of my pillow and how that pillow has given me a good night's sleep that I need. In fact, I never knew how good I could sleep before I had my, my pillow. Mike continues to roll out new offers on his products, and the latest one is on his towel sets. Towels aren't something you think about often. I never knew what I was missing until I tried the towels just last year. Now, you've all helped build MyPillow into the incredible company that it is today, and you've trusted Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's now changing the game with his six-piece towel set. The set's made with USA cotton, making it extremely absorbent, and yet still providing that soft feel you look for in a towel. The set comes with two baths, two hand towels, and two washcloths, typically retailing for $109.99. But for a limited time, you can get this set for the low price of $39.99, and that's using promo code Sam Sorbo. So remember, all MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee. You just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener specials to get this insanely low price of $39.99 on the towel set. You'll find deep discounts on other MyPillow products as well. So enter promo code Sam Sorbo, Sam Sorbo, or you can call 800-625-5983. That's 800-625-5983 for these great radio specials. Disney has decided to go for woke. That is the headline of a um, a Wall Street Journal article that I thought was really fascinating uh, because it's such an interesting take on what Disney is proposing to do in their rejection of the the bill in Florida now that is really to protect our children from being sexualized at a young age. Uh, Disney has decided to say, no, darn it. We believe in sexualizing young children. And in fact, uh, most recently, I saw a series of arrests and um, charges against Disney employees for sex trafficking of children and um, and uh, uh, sexual abuse of minors and all kinds of things that are happening within the sort of within the boundaries of Disney on the Disney cruises um, and with on the on the Disney properties. Uh, so it's it's such an interesting point of view. This article written by Gerard Baker, who is an editor over at the Wall Street Journal, um, starts this way. If executives of the Walt Disney Company are serious about attacking the endemic poison of cis- cisgendered white patriarchal ideology in our wicked society, it's high time they revisited their enormous back catalog of works that have promoted this pernicious propaganda for too long. In fact, I just heard about they are saying that they are taking for Lent, they are going to give up the white patriarchy and they're going to do away with anything that has been propagated by white people, anything church that came from white people, which is a really interesting point of view, because if they're reading a Bible likely printed by white people, if they're on their iPhones, Steve Jobs was white. If they're doing technology, 
don't they know Al Gore invented the internet? Uh, so I'm just saying, like, it's it's so amazing to me the self-destructive tendencies. It's kind of crazy. I mean, if if we went back, I don't know, 50 years and sort of described the 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 push that we're seeing now within our culture, we would just label that as self-destructive and psychotic. And yet today it's just sort of taken as, well, that's just the way it is. And so um, this guy, I love this, Gerard Baker, it goes on in this article to, to recommend establishing a large team of young managers, you know, recent graduates in um, the, the critical uh, gender theory and uh, critical race theory, and, uh, you know, all of those young, young kids that the most select universities are turning out these days so that they're trained in, you know, corporate diversity and equity and inclusion programs and all that. And then um, what they're, what they're going to have to do is take down the old works. So let's get rid of the, basically the entire Disney library. I mean, if this is the stand that they're going to take, then, then we have to do away with Lady and the Tramp for, for goodness sakes. What about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? I mean, that was a patriarchy if, if there ever was one. And the Lion King? Oh, yeah. That's got to go. Are you feeling me? So these are repugnant efforts of juvenile indoctrination. They're, they're throwbacks to an age of prejudice, of stereotyping, uh, and, and basically the study of human biology. I mean, how dare they? Uh, this, this whole article, is, it's, a, it's a good read. I, um, I recommend it. He says it's easy to mock, but when a company whose products have entertained, enlivened, and enriched the lives of billions of children and their parents decides that it must take a stand against the parental rights in education bill, it's called the parental rights in education bill, okay? What should they expect then? Because by joining in that campaign that is really about distorting the objectives of Florida's new law, it's about distorting it. And I don't know if you guys saw the brilliant clip of DeSantis answering the um, the heckler uh, posing as a reporter who said, you know, what, you know, tell us about the don't say gay bill. He said, uh, what's in the bill? What's it called? What what's the name of the bill? It's parental rights bill. It's not the don't say gay bill. And um, and he said, listen, I stand with parents who don't want their children exposed to sexual perversion at young ages, period. This idea that we have 10-year-olds who are coming out as non-binary. Yeah, they're non-binary because they're non-sexual. They're 10 years old. It's absurd. Um, and, and Disney is, uh, is, you know, they're banking that, they're, that their resources are, not, not even their resources, that their capital, their, their cultural capital is enough to sustain them. And that's, a, that's an interesting gamble. I know a lot of people now, my son came to me and said, mom, we got to get rid of Disney plus. That was early on. I'm like, I hear you. I'm with you. Uh, and I, and I would urge, but you know, I'll be honest. My children never watched any live action Disney. We watch classics but we never watched any of the live action Disney TV shows because they're all hyper-sexualized youth, all of them. 
Every single one. In fact, like that's my biggest lament these days is you can't, you can't turn on any show these days, comedy, drama, th- thriller, not that I watch thrillers, but you can't, you know, Western, uh, uh, futuristic, whatever it is without getting the, but, but like blatant hypersexual, like oversexed. And you got to start wondering why, where are the storytellers? If they all just evolve into sex. All right. This is the Sam Sorbo show. Thanks for listening. 